I want to be more accessible to everyone. So I have decided to start reading some of my old posts aloud, recording them and then uploading them so people with visual impairments can listen. And also, I find it sometimes just easier to listen than to read. Um, I also want to say thank you to Kimber and Katja for putting out a call saying, hey, this lady over here needs help. I really appreciate it. And there are a ton of people from the K&K community, uh, you know who you are, that have come on over. So anyway, thanks again. So I'm going to start with something that I wrote back in February of this year, and it was just a basic statement of facts of the case. And when you listen to this, I want people to keep in mind that facts of the case are simply statements of fact. These are things that are knowable through interviews, from talking to Maggie, through police reports, talking to other people involved with the case, through Emmy's reports, public information requests. These are things that are uh, known. It doesn't mean that there's not wiggle room there. It doesn't mean that things may not change. It just means that as of right now, these are things that we know for sure about this case. The reason I put together this document in February was because Maggie and I did a podcast. And while all publicity is good publicity for Brittany, there were a few misstatements that went uncorrected in this podcast. This is a very long case. I'm not suggesting anybody wanted to make mistakes, but mistakes get made and there's many iterations over the years. There's some cleanup that needs to be done periodically as we go forward. So I'm not going to address the timeline here because I've kind of exhaustively done that and I don't want to completely bore you. The biggest thing that I want to start with is the Emmys report. And I think that this is an important fact that we, we know is that there is no time of death recorded in the autopsy report, not even a range. So it reads only in part, quote, she had reportedly not been seen alive for three days. Death was pronounced at the scene September 30th, 2004, at 2209 hours. I go on to note, though, that that is when the police actually arrived. The ME didn't arrive on the scene until October 1st, 2004, at, quote, approximately 145 hours, so 145 in the morning. The ME didn't note any scientifically based findings of plausible timings. You know, based on the physiological factors of Brittany's body, typically an ME will kind of ballpark the window um, of death at a scene based on the disposition of the body, decomp, lack thereof, rigor or not, core body temperatures, etc. There's nothing listed in the ME's report that suggests that there was a body temperature that was taken on the scene. Um, or at least not a recording of it. So that's what we know about that. Again, I've said it before, there's more to the Emmys report that we can get into and more concerns. But moving on. A lot of questions about how Brittany was found. Meaning how she was found physically in the space of her apartment. And also how she was clothed or unclothed. So I'm going to read directly from the scene description. So this was written by the Emmy upon his arrival at the scene. Quote, I arrived at the scene, which was an upstairs apartment 
at 9407 East 65th Street, number 3216, on October 1st, at approximately 1.45 hours. I was led to the bedroom. The bedroom door leading to an outside balcony was open. The body was supine on the floor immediately next to her bed. Her head was turned to the right. There were numerous towels on the deceased, and items of her clothing were adjacent to her. She was clothed only in a shirt. Now, I left a lot out of that scene description because I want to make sure that Maggie's okay with me sharing that. It, although it is public information, I just want to do that first because there's some, there's some details in here that are rough. Um, but anyway, that gives you the general idea of how she was, how she was found. Oh, and I do want to note too, that there didn't appear to be any rhyme or reason to how, um, clothing was arranged or how the towels were placed. There had been some speculation that Brittany had been covered up, covered up, suggesting that someone had covered her after death. And it doesn't appear from the medical examiner's report that that is in fact the case. Now, the police might have a different take on it, but we don't have that information at the moment. What was the cause and manner of Brittany's death? The official report states the following, that number one, asphyxia due to neck compression. They also noted that there were abrasions on the neck, there was petechial hemorrhages in the eyes, and that's those broken blood vessels that occur oftentimes in cases of strangulation. Um, and they also noted a, an acute hemorrhage of strap musculature. So around the neck and, you know, hemorrhaging is essentially just bruising. There was bruising around her neck. Now it doesn't indicate any use of a ligature. There's no suggestion in document that um, the ME submitted. There is, and this is interesting because it shows that there were quote, ovoid marks on her neck. So when you think ovoid, circular, round, potentially hands, the tips of fingers. There were also some noted on her thigh and her hyoid bone was actually intact. A lot of times you hear that hyoid bones are often broken in cases of strangulation or suffocation, and that was not the case here. There was no, and they did toxicology, but just a very basic toxicology, and there was nothing found in, in Brittany's system. No drugs, no alcohol, etc. And so this next part is about the DNA evidence so far, and this gets way into the weeds. So I'm... And, is going to come up in subsequent recordings with Maggie, and it's best left for her to really explain that. But generally, there was DNA found at the scene. Um, there was semen and blood taken from the scene. The semen was found on the sheets and a small amount of blood in the kitchen sink. And these were from the same person. A genetic sketch was created through DNA phenotyping. Over a decade after the murder, there was a match to the DNA. However, according to then Tulsa Police Department detective Eddie Majors, that person was ruled out because they had an alibi and a plausible reason for the genetic material and why it could have been in Brittany's apartment. This was 
a boyfriend, and this is well known, so I'm not giving up anything uh, that is top secret. It was from a boyfriend of one of Brittany's good friends, and they had stayed the night. Brittany had let him kind of shack up there around the time of her death. So about this alibi, Maggie was never told what the alibi was. There are some questions about the circumstances of how the alibi was obtained, what exactly made it a valid alibi at the time. Then there was also just some kind of background chat that there may have been a botched interview. But what is known is this person was cleared and that was then put to rest. After this person had been cleared and ruled out, there was more DNA that was obtained reportedly from her fingernails, which I find fascinating because I don't see any of that in the ME's report. However, like I said, it's a mess and we'll get into it later. But for right now, where we're at is that a second round of DNA obtained from allegedly under her fingernails has been sent off to a lab. So again, lots more there, but we will get into that in subsequent recordings. So a little bit about the apartment complex, because there was some kind of misunderstandings about the setup and the layout. The biggest one is about this hatch in like an attic-like hatch. I spoke to a person that was involved with the initial investigation, and people say that there was a common attic area. So like you walk into, say, your, it's like nightmare scenario, right? Like you walk into your apartment and somebody drops down from an attic hatch because they can live up there for, you know, years. But there's conflicting reports. So the information that I received from the person that was on the scene in the early days was that they were able to confirm that it was actually walled off. So if you think about it, an apartment complex, let's say there's six apartments on the second floor, and um, the suggestion was or the idea was is that there was um, a shared attic space in that apartment building where Theoretically, anybody from another apartment could access every other apartment on that level. I'm told that that's not true. Who knows? I mean, because this apartment um, complex has turned out to be unhelpful sketchballs, but we'll get into that somewhere down the road. And Maggie also told me that even if this attic space were shared, there was no sign of anybody having been in that space. So it wasn't disturbed no remnants of anybody that had been lying in wait, no detritus, nothing. So we know that. And I do know another thing, it's creepy as hell that that is there. One of the other things that's kind of been talked about is how did this person access the apartment? Now, you can look at it like, Brittany may have known the person and let them in because there wasn't a sign of forced entry necessarily, um, at least through the front door. Brittany had in the past locked herself out of her apartment. You know, she was on the second floor, but it wasn't like it was a really high balcony. So she got a fellow resident to help her and this person boosted her up to her balcony and she was able to get in that way through the unlocked door. The balcony is relatively easy to access. Um, My understanding is the person who helped boost Brittany up was in fact 
spoken to at one point during the investigation. I don't know uh, what the status of that is, um, but you know, it was relatively easy to access. The ME's report does indicate that the doors were found open. Now we don't know who opened those doors. Was it the perpetrator? Was it somebody first on the scene trying to air the place out? I mean, you would hope not. You would hope that the cops would leave it just as is, but who knows? Then Maggie uh, went back after the murder because she had to go and collect Brittany's things and clean up, which is, ugh, breaks my heart. But she did say when she was out there, she did notice damage to a trellis that she hadn't noticed before. Is it something? Maybe. Um, hopefully it's captured in the police report, but it's not in the Emmys report. Not that I'm expe- I was expecting it to be there. So that's the February posting. Now, that doesn't include any of the most recent updates from February that we talk about the postmark and the envelope and also a potential witness that saw Brittany after um, her estimated time of death. There is an audio uh, recording where I kind of walk through that. So it's just called New Evidence, I think. There's also more information that I've uncovered about the medical examiner and issues with the medical examiner's office in Tulsa and in Oklahoma overall that is pretty concerning. And there's also just kind of overall updates of how Maggie's being stonewalled, in my opinion, by the Tulsa Police Department and how there's just a stunning lack of movement on this case. But for now, I just wanted to kind of put this out here. So um, like I said, it's more accessible. I'm open to any and all corrections. I'm open to any and all suggestions of how I can better relay information to you and share it with you. I'm open to all of that. This is a all hands on deck kind of effort. There are phone numbers for the Tulsa cold case squad and for the tip line noted on the about page. So if you have actionable tips the police could use immediately, please use those numbers. If you have just tips or observations or insight that you think might be valuable to me and my reporting, you can email me at andy, A-N-D-Y, at andycopsa.com, A-N-D-Y-K-O-P-S-A.com. I treat everybody with anonymity until and unless they give me permission to use their name or their voice or anything. So please know that if you send me any information, it's going to be kept between us and any little bit might help me dig further into this case. And I do know that there are people that follow this newsletter that have already reached out to me. Thank you, because every little bit helps and it reinforces things. And even if I don't necessarily report on things that you've turned over to me does not mean that they're not helpful. I will be coming back with a an episode that has original audio from a 2022 interview I did with Maggie where she really breaks some of the problems with the investigation down. It's really important to me that you hear her voice and I think that you will think that she is very cool.